Well, welcome to Advanced Pretend, everyone. A little bit of a different episode this time. Uh, you know, Jen and I spend a lot of our time, not just on the podcast, but in life, interviewing a lot of people. And we never get to talk. So we want to do a little interviewing of each other. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, we um, we know each other through someone else right. that we both like a lot. A lot. She's pretty great. I decided to live with her forever. Yeah. Wow. I know. Pretty crazy, right? <laughs> Big steps. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So nice. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, Matt and I kind of know each other um, through um, Sarah. And um, now we know each other through work. Like, I don't want to call it work. Yeah. Like, whatever this project is. We can call really. it work. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, but yeah, we don't really talk to each other during the recordings. We talk to each other through someone else. (laughs) So yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I've learned about Matt, um, during our interviews that I do want to ask you about. And one of them is, um, so you actually have other podcasts. (laughs) Yeah. And right. And you like, you film yourself for YouTube, like making craft cocktails. Yes. Yes. Indeed. Yeah, the two of my first podcasts, we no longer do just because the first one was called, is called, still up, called The Smoking Hot Nerds. And it was me and uh, three of my best friends uh, just discussing film, TV, predominantly things like Star Wars, super geeky stuff. Um, But one is in Boston, one's in Vegas, one's in LA, and I'm in Colorado. And it just wasn't sustainable anymore, especially after one of them had had a kiddo. And so, you know, we kind of let that one go, but it's still up. You can still see it on all the podcast places. And then I did one called The Makers, which, you know, is uh, sort of discussing create, sort of the creative process with creatives. Um, and it was a lot of fun as well. But one of those things, again, it just became kind of um, difficult to coordinate with um, my co-host. You know what? This is probably the first time I've done a podcast with someone else where we're on the same time zone, <laughs> which is actually kind of a huge deal. Because you can do so much more when you're on the same is, time zone. Um, it is a big deal. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So currently the one that I just started is called F Wonderful and it covers all things Formula One. Uh, I became a huge Formula One racing fan during COVID. And uh, and so it's, it's spelled the letter F-O-N-E-D-E-R-F-U-L. F wonderful. So it's kind of a play on F1, but also do you remember the movie, that thing you do? Yes. Uh, the Tom Hanks movie. And yeah. the band was called the wonders, but the way that they spelled it the first time was O N E D E R S. And it's sort of a joke <laughs> in the movie that people would call them the Oneaters. And that always stuck with me ever since like high school, whenever I saw that movie the first time. So I thought it'd be funny to call it F wonderful, but it looks kind of like F O'Neaterful, which is kind okay. of awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we only have three episodes up because um, we follow the racing season and talk about the previous race and then sort of our predictions for the next race. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So you're like armchair quarterbacking Formula One. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Definitely. So it's like, fun. yeah, Monday morning, uh, race car driver. So yeah, it's <laughs> fun, <laughs> but the, it's, it's just such an aspirational sport in a lot of ways, not in the sense that I want to play, like, no, I would never want to be a driver, but when you can get your business, uh, you know, to a certain point that you could potentially be, uh, you know, have your name on one of the cars or the guy's helmets or something like that. It's such a, that would be such a huge 
milestone for me, you know, in my business and the things that I want to do to be able to sort of like advertise yourself in Formula One. It would be just amazing. So those sorts of things just really excite me. And they go places like Monaco and, uh, you know, and Belgium and, and Australia, yeah. they go all over the world. And it's just, it's, it's very, it's much different from like American uh, racing for sure. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I think before the, um, before we were considering talking to each other, I looked at the Prowse questionnaire Oh. And one of the questions was, um, what would you do as an occupation if you, if you weren't doing what you're doing right now? And I have two answers to that. And one of them is um, stunt driver. Oh, really? Yeah. Like a, I don't an have evil any evil type thing? No, like for the movies. like oh, yeah. um, And not really like any of the explosion type stunts. But mm-hmm. just where you're kind of skidding out of control and then you kind of do a lot of donuts and yeah, like high volume Starsky and Hutch kind of stuff. Yeah. Like John Wick sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What, where does that come from? What do you, do you I have, have no cars or? idea. Yeah. I know that my, my dad has an interest in cars. Like all through our kidhood, he was trading cars and getting new ones mm. or. And I remember a blue Mustang um, from the late seventies. I don't know. I don't know what that's about. Um, The other one, the other occupation was set designer, which is more, more in line. Like people be like, okay. For like TV (laughs) film or for stage? Probably for, Ooh, that's a really good question, Matt, because I would say both. Like if you had experience with stage, you know, going, doing any kind of film set design would certainly be, um, more gratifying. I mean, it would all be so gratifying mm-hmm. if you do all of it, you know, but I think yeah. film, film, probably the cinematic, the broad sweep of the cinematic lenses, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I want, you know, I could say I love Wes Anderson and that's one of the things why, why I would mm-hmm. say that I wanted to do that. But, you know, I grew up in the seventies and the eighties, so I wasn't looking at him right. <laughs> during that time. Well, but <laughs> he know? has a ton of influence from the movies of the 70s um and 60s because he he says that he feels like every movie he makes he's just trying to make the graduate is that oh, the, gosh, that's the look and feel that I he love always goes that for film. yeah i mean it's an amazing film and it it was it was doing well during that time too directors were starting to play with camera angles in a different way um super symmetrical shots very very long takes things like that that were is not that a common. mike nichols film uh is yeah yeah. Right, right, right. So Mike Nichols. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. So yeah. Wes Anderson takes a lot of his influence from, from that era for sure. Maybe that's why I love him so much. It's yeah. like a chicken, chicken and the egg, but yeah. um, for sure. Uh, yeah. I think set design, I, I, like I did a little drama in high school and, um, and we all had to participate in every, every kind of part of it. And yes. so putting, putting the stage together was one of my favorite things. Yeah. It, it's, I don't know. I it's was also in, a different part of your but, brain too. You yeah. know, when you're a performer or a writer, something like that, when you get to uh, build the world, it, it definitely changes the way that you think about it. And, you know, it's interesting too. production design, set building, all that kind of stuff for film is, 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 is designed to see it through one lens, mm-hmm. multiple angles, certainly, but, but there's one lens, one, one sort of focal length at a time production design and set design and stuff for, for music and for, for theater has to be seen from multiple angles at once within one box. And so it's like a really cool, interesting difference between the two things. And 
if you see a great Broadway play with great set design and production design, it's more mind blowing, I think, than a movie than any movie could ever could ever be. Right. I mean, it really the set itself becomes a character in and of itself, and mm -hmm. the environment becomes part of it's it's a plays a a distinct role in the entire production and and the story. Yeah. That's Definitely. what good set design is, right? Like it's in the story. And then like for film, if you're like panning through someone's room and you see relics of a person and you, you get to know the character through what is chosen mm -hmm. to be on the shelves, um, depending on what you're focusing on, but that's, that's what it should be to me anyway. Definitely. So yeah, I pay attention to that stuff. And, and I love looking at movie color palettes, you know, like those mm -hmm. accounts on uh, Facebook and Instagram that are like the cinema palettes. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's super cool. And um, yeah, I just looked at one that was from Apocalypse Now. I'm like the amount of yeah. orange, <laughs> the amount of orange is so intentional. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> With all the flames and the ancient, yeah, and the the ancient, ancient orange. orange. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly. But yeah, that, that stuff is so fun to me. And I, I do love uh, film a lot. Yeah. I like film a lot. Do you have and, a favorite Wes Anderson? Oh, man. Or a top two that always bounce back and forth. I love Moonrise Kingdom. Mm. Um, I used to really like. I think the Royal Tannenbaums were always somewhere at the top, and it's mm -hmm. still true. But what he did, Moonrise Kingdom, was just a, so jaunty and hilarious, and like it, it, it should appeal to all the kids, the kid inside of all of us. You know the way yeah. those two characters, um, Katie and. Uh, God, I forget the other kid's name, but, um, and then I love how he keeps his, um, his family of actors kind of close. Like mm -hmm. you see Bill Murray surfacing in, you know, the, the aquatic life of Steve Zazu and, um, but he's, he's here and there and, you know, mm -hmm. um, Francis McDormand and, um, and, and Edward Norton <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just cracks me up. So yeah, I like, I like that he keeps the, the um, actors kind of in, in a revolving door here yeah. coming and going and i love the um the budapest hotel i think that that is undoubtedly his masterpiece i think he could have and i would never tell a director Our hotel to do. budapest i think I yeah got it wrong. the grand anyway, budapest hotel thank yeah. you matt yeah it's it's his greatest film it's the culmination it's of so everything good. the the look and feel that is trademark wes anderson but also uh, the performances like F. Murray Abraham as the old hotel owner who you find out is, you know, spoiler alert, is the little kid as well. And, you know, who's the bellhop at the beginning. His his performance is so haunting and regretful, not regretful per se, but he just you could see that there's a lot of hurt that he went through. And it's a silly movie sort of in a way. It's it's silly. It it's is. a little goofy. It's, it's playing on Nazi, you know, occupation and things all these crazy themes, but the core of it, it's just a, a guy who, you know, loved a girl and a hotel. And it's just, it's a really an amazing and Ray Fiennes, Ray Fiennes. I don't know if it has ever been better in anything ever. Right. Other than that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, yeah. that guy's got a broad ranging career as well. Yeah. And to see F Murray Abrams, um, you know, it just, it's such a great reminder of what a powerful actor he is. He can definitely that face. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, did so, you there's so much to it. See the second season of White Lotus. 
Yes. Because he's in that, you know, he plays That's right. Michael Imperioli's dad, and he's just so good. So good in that. He is it's, really it's good crazy. in that role. I thought that was really good too. Thanks yeah. for reminding me. I have been yeah. really enjoying HBO Max. Uh yeah. Um, gosh, what did I just stop? What uh Perry Ma- the new Perry Mason. Are you on the first season or second? I just finished the second season. Okay. I haven't started second yet. I thought first season was phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, talking about set design. Yeah, right. I mean, some things I really watch, like, I will find myself watching more of what's happening, like, in frame that's not part of the action. And then I have to go Mm -hmm. back and be like, what just happened? Yeah. Because, I mean, they're so good at, like, taking you to the time. Yeah. You know? And so I get get distracted by that stuff. I love period costume, all that shit. Nice. Yeah. The blend between because they they built a lot of that stuff practically and so and then the occasional blending of that with sort of um you know virtual production or or whatever it was that they used was is pretty seamless and it's a time period that you know I'm in my 40s and so the 20s were cool at a certain point when we were kids and it's just kind of fallen out like no one really pays attention to the great gatsby era type stuff or anything like that anymore it's everyone's super into the eighties and nineties now who are younger. And so it's mm. fun to see a show that takes place during such a, like an era that no one at this age, even, or, you know, who are kind of the lower younger generations, they know nothing about it's, it's cool to see a show that's so good that takes place. Yeah. In the 20s and I so. loved it that they kept it there. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, Terry Mason has been brought into the, you know, modern day plenty yeah. of time. Um, but yeah, I love that they kept it where it's where it kind of was supposed to be and where the story originated and um, mm-hmm. got the cost the costuming. Yeah. <laughs> so good. I'm like trying to go through plot points and I'm like getting stuck on like Della's dress. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's very lived in though too because a lot mm-hmm. of those movies could look like Hollywood, uh, you know, big uh, tentpole pieces from the golden age. But this looks like they actually live in those costumes and live in that yeah. world it's cool it's super genuine yeah, yeah for sure anyway um so what so you live in greater denver right yeah in loveland which is near okay. fort collins so basically like fort collins loveland area right i think when we met you lived in uh, fort morgan or mm-hmm. some other part of denver yep and then, of course, I didn't even know any of your background at all, like I said before, until we started this podcast. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> and so um, you were, you pursued acting in, in California? Yep. Yeah, I started as an actor, you know, as you do, you know, fourth grade or whatever it is, and became, you know, really into it by high school and went to college and did a ton of theater and then started booking commercials and things like that. And then started working uh, at an improv theater in Minneapolis, which is where I went to school. And that was really cool. It's called uh, um, Comedy Sports. It was sort of like a uh, a competition improvisation show. You have two teams of improvisers, and it was the competition was secondary because we were all on the same <laughs> cast. But right. uh, but you know we would do short improvised scenes based upon suggestions from the audience. And that sort of was really what built my, my muscles, I guess, as an actor, um, you know, and then took it to LA and, you know, booked some commercials here and there, did a lot of extra work, um, a lot of production work and, uh, and then did the groundlings where I, I didn't end up in the cast of the groundlings, but uh, did the entire program and which 
initially is improv based and then it becomes sketch comedy based. So that's where I learned how to start writing um, and stuff. And so that was sort of my journey as an actor. And then once I had written and directed a web series in like 2013, that's mm -hmm. when I got the bug to be a director and to write and direct my own stuff. And so that's kind of what I've been doing ever since. I mean, albeit my business now is mostly commercials. So I'm, I'm writing and directing commercials, but uh, so it's for other people, but at least it's my own sort of like original content in a way, which is cool. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I love that we're both self-employed. Yeah. It's fun. I, I sure haven't, I haven't been a writer very long. Well, I mean, I guess I have been a writer, but not like this, like the intensity, the intensity of trying to um, cobble life together and, and keep a stream of income. Yeah is so daunting. Um, I don't care what creative pursuit you're in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing right now. And it's going okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my background is mostly corporate and mm -hmm. I took a really traditional track in a career that I started um, at Boeing in Everett, Washington. Mm -hmm. And so I was in the aerospace industry for a little while. And that was mostly as like a project, project assistant okay. kind of thing. And when I left, I, I was a, had been assigned to the um, seven six seven extended range program, um, and so I went from Washington back to Missouri, where my family um, is from, and worked. I worked with engineers again, and I just kept on this kind of track where I was working with designers, um, whether it be engineers or architects, and so um, it was always really corporate level work. And then I moved to Idaho in 2006 with my now ex-husband and um, spent a decade here in Teton Valley where I, where I am again. I, I left and I came back. So during the period that I left, like that's when Matt and, I, and Sarah and I met. <laughs> and now we still still know each other, but I don't live in, I live in, near Colorado, but it's probably about an eight hour drive from Matt and Sarah. Yeah. Sadly, sadly. <laughs> so, but this is interesting because I've only ever known you as as a as a, a writer and someone working in a creative pursuit. Um, what was the plan? You know, getting a job in, with Boeing and working in that field. Did was there a plan? Did you always want to get into writing, or what? What was going on no. back then? I have to say that I never really had a plan. So, my only plan was I had spent six years in the uh, armed services as a as an Air National Guard member. And I did that during a time when our country was at peace. Um, I believe the only thing going, going, the only word on the street was the Bosnian conflict, right? Right, it's, yeah. Uh, ancient history, Jen yeah, Ryan is. But, sure. um, <laughs> anyway, you, right? Just, uh, Bosnia is a little <laughs> but bit. The but the experience, I mean, it was pretty mellow yellow compared to what we've been through since. Yeah. And so my um, service was really, um, you know, I joined because I didn't want to get a college loan. Hmm. And I came from a long line of um, people who had been in the military and it seemed like a logical thing to do. And it really helped me. I mean, sure. it helped me not pay for college. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so also, um, yeah, I didn't join at a time when there was any kind of conflict that would have sent me into combat. So mm -hmm. um, just the timing that that was good for me. But at, And so, yeah, I... I bounced into the world. I did not finish my degree and I was in Everett, Washington at the time that I kind of ended my enlistment. 
And um, I got a job at Boeing, like many mm. people do. Yeah. And so between like the college I had, which was like two years, like a general studies thing, I don't even know. I was I thought I was going to get a degree in literature, but I didn't. Um, it doesn't matter. And so I just started my career because I was in the world and I was trying to pay my bills. And, you know, yeah. I was living with roommates and, you know, um, so I let it take its course and it took me into corporate work. And I always kind of looked for that kind of work because I ended up being good at it. Um, I'm really good at like systemizing things and, um, you know, kind of categorizing stuff. And I have a data processor kind of side to my my skill set. Hmm. But for the past, I'd say, seven years, um, I have been heavy, heavy into content creation. And especially during a five-year period where I was a member of staff at a digital media firm. And um that's where I met Sarah mm-hmm. and um, we were creating content for a craft craft audience who made quilts and knitted and crocheted. And, and so, yeah, I, I took a corporate journey that led me into something I never thought I would do. I don't even know how I targeted that company in um, Fort Collins. Mm-hmm. I think I came out of Teton Valley and I wanted to go into something that was publishing and they have a family of magazines. So I, I targeted, you know, them for that. And so now you know me as a writer, actually, because I did work for them and they have a family of magazines and I still write for some of those magazines, which mm-hmm. include um, Artist Magazine, um, which uh, I've had, I started the year with a cover for Artist Magazine, which is only just a uh, look at the draw because I think it just, it's what, look, it's what looks good with the taglines on the cover. Right. So it's mostly, it's like, oh, that artist looks good, but I got lucky because I wrote it, <laughs> I <don't Right>. know. <laughs> but I still have a, um, a rotating byline with artists magazine. And that, that editor has been such a um, grace um, to, and a wonderful um, kind of generous per- personality in my writing career in the past uh, six years or so. Her name is Anne. She's also the lead editor for Southwest art, watercolor mm-hmm. artist and pastel journal. And so <laughs> she has so much on her plate and and she still keeps me in the hopper for these kind of freelance things. And um, I get to write about oil painters and uh, watercolor artists and um, pastel artists. And, you know, sometimes she throws stuff at me and sometimes I pitch stuff to her. So that's just one of the things that I do. And I have a lot of um, flaming balls in the air, as you do. Um, I think my question for Nine Stories Creative. So you, you're doing primarily commercials now. But you also cover, um, you also aid like in the realtor game in some way. Yeah. The, I, it probably, it was one of the first things that I did uh, when starting the company was getting into real estate uh, photography and, and film. And so I have uh, a nice sort of stable of realtors who I shoot all of their photos and videos and 3D tours at times uh, for, for their houses. So it's really fun and it's really interesting because I didn't expect that I would like it. Um, I really <laughs> enjoy, I don't do much of it anymore. Not anymore. I just don't do much of it at all. Uh, I really enjoy product photography. I really enjoy mm. setting the scene and <clears throat> capturing that, like that one moment. And so doing houses is kind of like that. I get to find the best angle and the best look and the best light and, and shoot a home and, also, I just I just like going into houses. I just think it's cool to be yeah. able to see houses of all shapes and sizes and 
lately it's been a lot of estates. And so it's these old ranch homes that are time capsules. Essentially, you walk in and they've never been changed since they were built in 1958 or whatever it was. It's cool. Yeah. And the architecture that exists throughout the state, um, as far as homes are concerned, is fascinating to see such beautiful, gorgeous, vintage homes in literally in the middle of nowhere, you know, (laughs) or whatever. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, there was a period of time where everyone was taking a page out of out of Frank Lloyd Wright's book, not just not his crazy stuff, but just the, his sort of his desire to like make you know affordable you know homes that are classy. People started doing that, and some of the best homes that I photographed with the coolest sort of art, as far as just how it was designed, were actually homes that you could buy out of the Sears catalog, which is oh. crazy to me. You could literally buy a house. I remember this year's catalog. Yeah. And they would come and they would bring it all to your site, build it. And that was that. And I mean, true brick and mortar and, you know, all the things. It was was really interesting to see what. Oh my God. So we had to um, circle what we wanted for Christmas out of the Sears catalog. Right. Yes. Exactly. (laughs) And that is definitely a, a very specific slice of generation right there. Yeah. But um, I remember that. I remember seeing um, architectural plans in the Sears catalog. Yeah. <laughs> or at least, the you know, the, yeah, the, the blueprint yeah. for, yeah, the, the first, second, and third floor. And definitely. Oh, my God. That is so funny. Thing. What yeah. a trip. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. People were post-World um, War II. They were so addicted to a certain look, right? Yeah. Well, it was the white picket fence, um, American dream. These guys were coming back from... Uh, from war and they just wanted a, a little a peaceful corner to themselves and this made it possible for them at whatever sort of income level or if they're on a pension or whatever it was to do that and mm-hmm. so yeah it's it's interesting and then you know I do a lot of work in my hometown of Fort Morgan and I love it because I get to see all these old houses that I always wondered what they looked like inside and so it's kind of fun to go in and make them look beautiful and see that's cool like i would love to see i would love the staging part of that right cool set Mm -hmm. design all right so i wanted to have a cocktail with you over this Mm -hmm. um and i have a shaker in front of me nice full full of cocktail what did you do okay so i um invented a drink recently (laughs) (laughs) nice and and i wanted to make a dirty martini because it's like one of my favorites but Mm -hmm. I also have the ingredients for this on my Instagram feed. So, okay. you know, there's a video of it and there's ingredients out there. And I just did something off the cuff, which I don't really do that often. And so I did like a shot of Huckleberry Vodka, which is from 44 North. Hmm. Um, I'm doing this all wrong. That's oh local gosh. to you, correct? Yeah, it's uh, Idaho made. And that's a uh, 44 North Mountain Huckleberry Vodka. And then a little bit of Chambord. We all know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Classic. Because when you when you drink it, you feel like royalty. <laughs> right. Because of the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a sticky mess. Yes, it is. Chambord goes into anything. It gets all over everything. Um, the juice of, of half a lime. Okay. A little bit of the sweetened lime juice. Uh, rosés. Rosés? Roses, hmm. yeah. Hmm. And then some Bada Bing cherry liquid, which okay. there were used to be cherries in here, but then brought them home and then kind of ate them. <laughs> then this became part of the drink. And oh. so 
And then I say here a quarter lime of garnish, but if, <laughs> and then at the very top, it says shake, shake, shake and pour into a martini glass. And I can barely really even read my own right. handwriting because <laughs> I think I made like three of them to test. Right. And then by the time I wrote this down, I was like, whoa. Let's go. I'm going to actually put this on mute and shake it. No, shake it. Shake it with the mic on. Really? Yeah. It'll sound cool. Blow your ears out. It's festive. No. Not at all. (laughs) Give it a try. Oh, and then you're supposed to top it with um, sparkling water, but I put everything in here all at once. Okay. It's whatever. Woo! Just say, hopefully that sparkling water doesn't blow up. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. I can handle it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a girl with a mop. Yeah, exactly. It, it cleans up. <laughs> yeah, it'll be all right. But what I like about it is, so I call it a fuzzy Kool-Aid because it makes you feel fuzzy and it tastes a little bit like Kool-Aid. There but it should taste a lot like Kool-Aid because Kool-Aid is way too sweet, but it's yeah. like a, it should be um a really nice pink color. There you go. And so... And- that's what it looks like. Very nice. And then you put that lime garnish if you want to. And yeah, a nice compliment to the color. And you really should top it with the seltzer because it just looks pretty with the sparkle on top. Right. And it does the fizzy thing. But yeah. ultimately, yeah. Well, fuzzle, fuzziness. Yeah. Well, I've just, I've just got uh, Fort Collins local Voodoo Ranger IPA going. So mm. that's the nice, the good stuff lately. <laughs> So I'm curious, you have another question on here. Oh, yeah. And it says, um, where'd you go? Um, If you could be anyone else, who would you be? Oh, my. Is that anyone in terms of, like, I could be Superman or I want to be a doctor? You know, I gave that some thought, too, right before the episode. And I was like, is this like, my mind went straight to like historical figure. And even though I didn't even give it any thought when I chose the question, really. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could be anyone else, who would you be? Hmm. I would be Dorothy Parker. All right. <laughs> so she was a member of the Algonquin round table in the 1920s and she was kind of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, but I do understand what you mean by like, if you could be anything, what could it be? You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. Travel writer. If I could pick like a niche for writing, yeah, that would be my dream. Um, I, I would try and align it with seeing the world. Right. Because <laughs> there's so much world to see and I'm just never going to get to all of it. It's just impossible. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So what what were you thinking about that? Well, I was thinking it, I would just be Steven Spielberg. Yeah. There's a, a guy who's made any movie you'd ever want to make. And including the most recent one he made, basically it was a retrospective on his own childhood. And I mean, he's done everything and he's also done things like producing band of brothers, which was, you know, a remarkable sort of world war two, uh, series from the early two thousands to documentaries, you know, he redefined movies in a lot of ways, Yeah, but also is probably one of, if not the greatest of all time. For a lot of reasons because yeah you can watch a movie that you don't realize it's his and you're like that's a really good movie and it's directed by steven spielberg you're like have you ever seen <laughs> have you ever seen duel oh yeah yeah definitely yeah that was his first tv movie right yeah wait who was that dennis oh 
the actor. I forget. I don't know. I don't think he was anyone. Well, he made he was famous then, but not someone who had much like a long career. I don't believe. No, it was a te- it was a television actor. Yeah. Yeah. But, but dual. Oh my god. Yeah. But okay. So Jaws, right? Uh, yeah. I really love that movie still, and and I also will watch almost any shark film because of my um like even if it's trashy but i love that you didn't see the shark for Mm -hmm. a really long time he was only implied yeah for a really long time and so like and then that the water level shot that he Mm -hmm. met i I mean yeah Yeah. he's just got his fingerprints are just everywhere all over like yeah framing our modern so much yeah and he does things too that uh, there's foreshadowing he the camera will linger on something in the scene for seemingly no reason that comes back later it's just he does a lot of things that are a bit lost in the modern you know filmmaking nowadays that are you know jaws is one of those that that's one of those films where everyone thought it was just this big blockbuster but the truth was it was like a very carefully crafted nuanced film that had more to say about you know us as humans than about yeah. a killer shark you know yeah i i just love that story yeah i, think I can't I can't get over it and um i don't know i like think i excuse me i think jaws had more of an impact on me than et is a kid mm-hmm. like I, all my contemporaries <laughs> just like choosing et and i'm like wait yeah. although <laughs> go back that? and watch et again we just watched it recently um around halloween Mm. and boy it's just an amazing movie like it's just yeah it's incredible um and practical effects of the late 70s early 80s how beautiful they were done and he he seemed like a real creature you buy it yeah oh i know right he really did um he really did have us engaged into the reality of it yeah yeah, and then but you've got you just, Goonies, which is produced by him. Richard Donner directed uh, it. Goonies. But it's one of the best movies of all time, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's just an amazing film. So you um did you ever hunt for treasure as a kid? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, there was a crawl space underneath our house growing up that had a big hole in it. And so okay. my brothers and I were convinced that there had to be treasure down there. So there was no. a railroad tie buried there but that's that's as close as we got to treasure <laughs> and but you and you made films with your brothers mm-hmm. see so you were doing as a yeah. kid what you're doing now which is great yeah which is which is my favorite thing and it took me until i was um 39 to decide to pursue it as a career you know mm-hmm. dabbled in it and i always felt like i should have been an actor and so there's just a lot of things that you you know as you're growing out of uh younger desires um when i just realized like so truthfully to do it all over again i would have um just gone to film school right out of high school and just gone just gone for it and i didn't think i could though mm-hmm. there's so many things you have to know and mm-hmm. so it took me until i was 39 to see to decide that i was gonna teach myself how to do all of it. I mean, granted, I had had 20 years of experience, you know, on sets, acting and and on productions and stuff. So mm-hmm. the, the bones were there, but I'd never held the camera myself. I, you know, directed a lot, but I'd never edited with my hands. You know, I just never did it. So I taught myself how to do it all. And so, yeah, I'm pretty much living the life that I 
that I want. Yeah. yeah. I kind of taught myself how to do it all too, Matt, because I yeah. I never got a byline until I moved to Teton Valley from Minneapolis mm-hmm. in like 2006. And that's when I um I started getting a byline bylines in regional magazines here in the Tetons. And then um someone I knew uh decided to start a newspaper here and I asked her for a food column and she said yes. <laughs> And so it really was kind of my, um, I would say it was kind of my matriculation because I I majored in, you know, I wanted to be an English major and I think I wanted to teach, but I didn't really know. And and I wasn't so compelled to stay in my studies that I didn't, you know, quit and go get a job because that's what I did basically. Um, at any rate, so yeah, I, I didn't really pursue, I kind of did everything flip-floppy, like I got a job and then I went back to what I wanted to do, which was yeah. kind of write and, um, see where my imagination could take me. And so I started a food column with this newspaper and it went for like six years, as long as the newspaper went, I think. Wow. That's and awesome. then we left Teton Valley and, um, like I said, I went into digital media and that's when you get forced, your hand is forced to write about everything mm-hmm. that's put in front of you in order to make a um, a digital presence, a branding presence, uh, stay alive or keep it alive or make it bigger mm-hmm. or, you know, kind of galvanize what it's about. And keep you know, the machine puppy. rolling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the door. I'll let him that's in a cute. second. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that my writing has just, and even at a corporate level, I did I did marketing writing, I did bid proposals, I was always writing. So it was kind of flip-flop because I did some technical writing and then I did some creative stuff. And and now I write, I do grants, I mm. do grant writing and I do marketing and I do social media and um, <laughs> I still write long format articles, like I said, for those great people over at um, Artist Network that have, have all those awesome magazines and Plain Air Magazine. And so, yeah. It's been, I've always wanted to be a writer mm-hmm. and I only achieved this. Oof, maybe I shouldn't mention my age, <laughs> Don't need. but that. our audience, um, which is very small is probably really smart too. Yeah. I would <laughs> all, think th- so. all three of you out yeah. there. Can do the, some yeah. <laughs> well, all the people that we uh, have on the show are very, very smart and it's cool to listen to them talk. Um, when you were, sh- when you were doing the food um, column, was it, was it somewhat of a critic situation or was it more i taste the food i talk about it what was it like yeah so um the biggest compliment i got from my editor about that column was that she said it was ahead of its time what i Mm. what i like to do is write about food and that is a cult and that it is a cultural experience that touches us all um at any at many different levels um whether it be in the home or at a restaurant and so i you can't really be a critic and oh I wanted to tell you that I figured out how many people live here now, which is 10,000 people. Oh, okay. But at the time I lived here and wrote that column, there were 7,000 people. And so wow. to be a critic is almost impossible because you don't want to get, you know, um, burned in effigy. For sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and then, and so what I'd like to write about was the food experience. And so I would, I even like went to my friend, Ashley, her mother is the lunch lady for the Teton school district. Oh, cool. And I went to her house one afternoon and we canned chicken. Hmm. And I wrote about that. I wrote about canning, which I hadn't really done as a child. And um, I would write about restaurants that opened and talk about the experience as I saw it. Um, hmm. And so, yeah, it was more experiential. And 
my biggest writing um, hero for food is, is Bourdain. Mm. Um, I, I see him as a chef, but I see him as a man who, who was a storyteller who, um, who shared so much with us in that way. And, it, mm-hmm. you know, it just always inspired me no matter what. So, yeah, I was more, more about writing about which I, I like to write about the experience of artists too. Yeah. You know? um, I was writing about culinary artists then, and I write about uh, visual artists now. And I like to write about their experience in the world, making the art, you know, what, how does that feel? And um, what's the medium about? Um, certainly my editors want to know certain things about the process, but I like to know about the struggle because mm-hmm. I think um, that's the thing that ties us all together. Yeah. Do you that's know who uh, Jonathan Gold is? Mm-hmm. He was, uh, they called him the food critic, but uh, for the LA Times um, and for many, many years, and he passed away three or four years ago. Um, but I was lucky enough to to wait on him when he came in to review a restaurant that I was working at at the time. And he was one of those guys who he's Pulitzer Prize winning uh, so, you know, if you want to go back in time and, and look at any of it, his, his writing is gorgeous. It's beautiful. Um, and even though he was called a critic, he really did that same thing. He was really writing about the experience and to talk about the food and talk about the experience. I mean, if it was garbage, he would say it was garbage. Um, but he also right. would say if it was transcendent, he would say it was transcendent and it was really cool. And the experience that he had that particular night at this particular restaurant was one of those nights that he just thought that this was this was food that wasn't being made anywhere in LA and needed to have more more love. And of course, after that happened, the place just Ooh, exploded well. by yeah. you know, so many accounts. So I think that there's so much power as a writer. You know, I wrote for a wine and wine and spirits magazine for about six years and never said a negative thing because the point was maybe I don't love it. Right. But the effort and the love that it took to make it is yeah. you can't, you, you can't put a, a, a grade on that, you know, a five star for effort or whatever. No, it's right. Everything is done with equal amounts of effort many times. So, so. I, I am most judgmental. Like I could be a terrible critic because I really do think that's that, that as well. I mean, mm-hmm. even as a diner in the world, like I'm going to leave a tip because people have bad days and I'm not yeah, going to punish sure. somebody, you know, yeah. they've been on their feet all day at any rate. Oh gosh, I forgot what I was going to say. Darn it. I, that really, ha- that happens to me. It <laughs> <laughs> happens, to, <laughs> happens to me when we don't have, when we don't have a guest. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I think just, um, yeah, in general, the experience of, of um, like when we, when we interviewed Christian and Lisa Hanley and I talked about like facilitating um, a dining experience. Yeah. I just, like I said, I really believe in it as just this um, cultural thing that ties us all together. And, you know, everybody's life is somehow centered around food, dude. Like it, yeah. it reflects your economic status. It, re- you know, it reflects um, your background and what you've been exposed to and what you're willing to do more of. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. why, I, I mean, I love to... I do go to a place for breakfast and um, they have a new waitress who waitress server. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Industry people. (laughs) And she was trying to kind of learn the pattern of the customers and, Mm. and Tracy uh, who's like the head waitress was like, well, Jen, sorry, Tracy server. Oh my God. Um, Jen doesn't really order the same thing over and over. She's not one of those people. Mm And and the and the one who was new was just like oh good I love someone who you can never guess you know yeah. and so 
I don't, I, I tend to not really stick to one thing. I want to mm. try new things. Um, I was brought up, I've said before, as a military brat and tape being taken to Asia and Europe, you yeah. know, I'm not afraid to try most things. Mm -hmm. And that for sure counts with food, like big time. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the biggie. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Cause I think we're just, we're so we can get stuck in our, our patterns and stuff and having been able to, you know, while I was simultaneously attempting to be an actor and, you know, serving bartending, all that stuff, I worked in some of the greatest places, you know, in the States. And so it expanded my palate greatly, you know, that yeah. I can, and understanding food and understanding where the food comes from, you know, a lot of farm to table stuff and yes. things like that really, really changed the course of how I eat and, approach food for sure. Yeah, definitely. I definitely, I had a, uh, the fortune in uh, Fort Collins of working with somebody who does uh, these massive farm to table dinners on the farm. Mm -hmm. And so one restaurant will come out, the chef will come out with his crew and um, there'll be some kind of theme, whether it be seasonal or not. But um, that experience of, of really going to the source um, that inspired, that it did inspire a lot of my writing at the time. And I still, um, I mean, I really enjoyed the um, the critical voice of Ruth Reichel, who was also who also worked for the New York Times, and she was often had to be in disguise and stuff like that. And I don't know to not be able to write about food openly because you just want to praise it, you know. Like I can't imagine having to cloak myself, you know, and and not be able to enjoy a meal because I was if I were a critic, you know, no, screw that. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I want to celebrate it all, and and I do really enjoy talking about the food chain because I think it's um. It, it, if you can grow your own food and keep it as close as possible to your life and not involve like um, second, third, fourth parties yeah. that are, that are controlling how you get it, where you get it, how much it costs, you know, growing food is an act of revolution, I believe. Mm. Um, and it takes us back to our agricultural roots as a, yeah. you know, kind of a society. Absolutely. There's a, a, a gig that I'm doing at the moment for the state yeah. Uh, that is all about, uh, the farm to child idea where it's grants to provide early childhood development centers to grow their own food and to have yeah. their own gardens, things like that, because of the disconnect that's there with kids, you know, don't know where a chicken nugget comes from. So let's teach mm -hmm. them, you know, where the food truly comes from and, and they could be a part of the process from start to finish planting right. and harvesting and preparing and eating. It's really cool. Yeah. I love that. I love it. Um, engendering that knowledge in children. And there truly is a generation of kids, especially, um, based on the region of the country they live in, uh, whether or not they know what a potato looks like mm -hmm. yet they eat French fries all the time. Right. And so it's kind of a little bit of a tragedy and you want to, you want kids to get their hands dirty in that regard. And, of course you want your kids to play outside more than be inside, but mm -hmm. to get involved in gardening and actually like this, how to sustain oneself is yeah. that's a whole different level. Yeah. It's, it's great. Definitely. That's super cool. Yeah. Where did you go to film that? Did, are you starting to film that? Uh, soon. Yeah. It's kind of all over the state. Um, Montrose and Durango, which is sort of in the Southern Southwestern part of Colorado. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then some local stuff here as well. So, which is cool. Yeah, it's been fun. That's Good. kind of the become the bread and butter of the business is less so like commercials and more so 
more or less short documentary pieces, mm-hmm. you know, about about whatever it is, whether it's this or someone's, you know, uh, furniture business, whatever it is. Like that's that's what I love to do. I love to tell people's stories. It's very right. exciting. Yeah. And I, I know, and I like to say too that I mean, I never really thought I'd be an online content editor for a brand like um, Southern Living, but that's what I'm doing. And mm-hmm. um, no matter what's thrown at me as far as that's concerned, and you and I have talked about this before, even when I d- maybe don't necessarily enjoy what's been assigned to me, mm-hmm. I still think in my head, hey, Jen, you're an editor, you're yeah. a writer, and you're an editor, and you're doing exactly what you wanted. And yeah. Um, you're making it work for now and that's got to be good enough and it's not going too, too poorly. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> there are days. <laughs> yeah. Challenging days. But, um, but yeah, overall, I feel the same way you do about having the opportunity to kind of do what you wanted and just always keep the perspective of um, no matter if it's marketing or if, if you're ghostwriting for somebody, which I've done that as well. And um you know, writing a newsletter, which our guest Ryan Ariano and I talked about, you know, um, is it product or is it passion? Well, you know, sometimes it's product, but that's okay too, because mm-hmm. you're still writing right. and you're helping somebody's brand voice. Yes. And as a writer, that's also pretty gratifying. Um, and uh, yeah, there's ways to enjoy it and it doesn't make me feel like work. And that's, right. that's where you want to be with it. So yeah, I'm feeling absolutely. pretty good about it. Exactly. Now I get to do this kind of thing with you. Yeah. yeah. It's fun. And to get to talk to people that you wouldn't necessarily get to actually have like just a real sit down conversation with, which is really fun. Yeah. You know, like uh, with Bly last week or, or um, Tatiana Berman, like these are people who are extremely interesting artists and performers and things. And, and you don't really get a chance to just have a, you know, a sit down with people like that always. And so it's, it's a yeah. lot of fun. And I mean, I, some of our guests, yes, I know. And I, I know them because I've interviewed them for print articles. Um, but I still have somewhat of an agenda for the magazine, for that brand or for my editor. Um, but I do um, practice very conversational interview style. Mm-hmm. Um, what What's heard on here, <clears throat> excuse me, is really close to what, what it's like to talk to me when you're getting interviewed for mm-hmm. a magazine article. Um, but I, I want to share it cause it's fun. And I've had a lot of my subjects say to me, Oh, no one's ever pointed that out to me before you're, mm-hmm. you're right about that. And so if there's an, an a, uncovering of stuff that even the subject is surprised at, mm-hmm. that's where I get happy. And, yeah. you know, um, they learn something about their process or themselves and that exchange can, can kind of be like a treasure hunt. <laughs> yeah. Advanced Pretend is a podcast produced by Nine Stories Creative Podcast Studios, created by Jen Ryan, executive produced and edited by Matt Jackson. Find us wherever you get your podcasts.